good to be here with you at Shout. I love this place. I love this movement. I have so much honor and respect for all of my friends in it. Um, flew in last night. I got to tell you, I love the atmosphere. I love what's going on here. I love everything this stands for. Thank you so much, Pastor Sam and Kathy, for the invitation and the opportunity, and for Pastor Bruce and Helen and what they've put, and for all my friends that pastor Equippers Churches um, all over the world. Um, I want to talk to you this morning, and I, I, really, I really took this topic very seriously because this is a great opportunity, and anytime I speak, I want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and I want scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I want us asking more questions about the Bible, not less questions. I want us discussing that uh, more than other things. And I, I, love, I love the move of the Spirit of God. And so my, my hope is, because I couldn't get here till last night, my hope is, is that what I'm doing is simply participating in the process that this entire week brought forward. I never want to preach because it's time to preach. I want to preach because I actually have something to say. And I want to partner with the Spirit of the risen Christ to help move us where God might be wanting us to move. And, and, and in that notion, I, I want you to look at the book of Numbers, chapter 15. I want to talk to you about the riveting subject of tassels on garments. And trust me, we're, we're going uh, somewhere with this. So this is Numbers, chapter 15, verse 37. This is what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. And you will have these tassels to look at so that you'll remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you'll remember to obey all my commands, and I will be consecrated to your God. For I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. For I am the Lord your God. So God says, I want you to make tassels on the corners of your garments. And, and you're going to have this, here's why, to, to look at, to remember all the commands of the Lord your God. Now, there's a couple of key words here, and then we're going to explain this and play it forward into Jesus and ultimately 2018 um, here in Auckland. Uh, ne next slide. There's a few key words here. The first one is the word kanaf. Now, I realize this is an international conference, so it, normally if I'm in Auckland, I would say with some all blacks gusto, but for whatever team you want to pick, I want you to repeat this word. The word says kanaf. Ready? Let's try this. Go. Kanaf. Let's try that again. Ready? Go. Kanaf. Now, now kanaf means corner. But remember, there's only 8,000 words in ancient Hebrew. There's 80,000 in English. So it can also mean corner, border, hem, or also wings. The, the, the reason is, is because when the priests would spread this out when they wore it, it looked like wings. And so the word kanaf started to mean wings. The second key word is the word talit. With the same amount of gusto, let's try that again. Try that, go. Talit. Let's try that again. Talit. Now, this is a talit. And what it was, was it was a small microcosmic scale model of the holy veil that, this, that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. 
And what they believed was back in those days was that the presence of God was relegated to a specific part of a specific tent. It was a very primitive way of looking at God. The idea that the presence of God would visit us in Spark Arena in Auckland was not ever thought of. The idea was that God lived in there. And the problem with God living in there was only a select few people ever got to experience it. So what they did is they made exact scale models of the holy veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, and they gave it to people to wear. The the idea is it's sort of like this. Um, Every guy um, would want to uh, drive a Ferrari, but very few of us could afford ever driving a Ferrari. So what guys do is they buy small scale models of Ferraris, and they put it on their mantle and say, see, I have a Ferrari. But they don't have a Ferrari. They have a scale model of one. That was this. And so what they would do is they would wear it. Give me a second. Let me see if I could spin this around. They would wear it like this. And the idea was, was inside the word talit was the presence of God. You're wearing the thing that held the presence of God in the tent. The idea was, is that you cannot separate your spiritual life from your natural life. In Hebrew, there is no word for spiritual. If you ask a Jew, how's your spiritual life going? They don't even know what you're talking about. The whole thing is spiritual. In other words, you can't organize your life where God is here but not there. God is with you on Monday. God is with you how you treat the person who just cut you off in traffic. God is with you when the waitress is taking too long to get your drink order. God is with you when your husband leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time. God is with you there. God is with you when your wife does something that disappoints you. God is in how you treat her then. God is in how you speak to that neighbor. Why? Because Jesus resurrected and came back to the earth not to destroy it, but to fix it. That means everything we do, everything we say, everything we are is spiritual because we're a part of repairing the world. That was the idea, that you carry the presence of God with you everywhere you go. The the other two words that are gonna come back here in a second are the idea, the Hebrew idea of unclean and clean. Now, now the Hebrew word for unclean is temeh. Can I hear you say that with some gusto? Temeh, temeh. The, the uh, The word clean is tahor. Can you try saying that with me? Tahor. Now realize in English, Tahor sounds unclean, but it was the clean one. It was a clean one. To be called Tahor in that world was a good thing. It was a good thing. Tahor, right? But if you were if you were unclean, you would have to go and pronounce that everywhere you go. Tame, tame, tame. Unclean, unclean, unclean. So number says that you have to put tassels on the kanaf of your talit. So it wasn't just carrying the presence of God, it was how you carried the presence of God, and they would symbolize that with these tassels. If you could hit that next slide for me. So tassels, there's all kinds of imagery in it. If you could see that, um, there's, uh, there's five knots in that tassel, one for each book of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So it wasn't just carrying the presence of God. They believed that everyone carried the, the Spirit of God. Like in Ezekiel 18, it says, every living soul belongs to me. In other words, if you're drawing breath, you're, you're being held together by God's name. You're being held together by God's breath. It's not a matter of who belongs to God and who doesn't. The whole world belongs to God. It's how you carry that presence. How do you carry the gift of 
breath, that holy thing that is on your life? And are you carrying it as attached to the word of God? The word of God was represented by the five knots. Now, in between those five knots was four spaces, one for each letter in the holy name, Yahweh, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. See, when God revealed his name to Moses in a burning bush, he said, my name is Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. It's very confusing because if you know anything about Hebrew, you know that you can't say those four letters together. They phonetically don't go. It would be like me saying, my name is Shlomin, 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 Shlomin. It's like, what come again? Shlomin, Shlomin, what, 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 no, yud, hey, vav, hey, yud, hey, vav, hey. Remember, Moses is confused. He said, that's not a word. What, what does that even mean? And he says, it means I am what I am. Because that clears it up perfectly, right? So, so what the rabbi said is they said, no, no, listen to it, listen. Yud, hey, vav, hey, yud, hey. And they said that the name of God in its purest form was actually breathing. Yud, hey, vav, hey. A later writer said that it's the name of God that holds all life together. Isn't it interesting that when a baby is born, the first thing it has to do is breathe. It has to say the name of God. And the last thing you do before you die is you take your last Breath. So right now, involuntarily, all of us are involuntarily saying the name of God, and our life is sustained by his name, even right now as we sit here. Is, isn't it interesting, the grace of God in this, that if you had coffee tomorrow with an atheist, the very breath it would take him to say, I do not believe in God, that God is being gracious enough to allow him to use his name to sustain his own life. That is the name of God. They define the name of God in Exodus 34. He is the Lord, the Lord. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. He is the Lord, the Lord. You see this all through the scriptures. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name and forget not his benefits who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. For he is the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness God who does not treat us as our iniquities deserve and gives us mercy that's new every morning. You also see it in the negative sense with a guy named Jonah. Jonah's like, I knew you were gonna forgive them. I hate that. That's why I ran. I don't want you, I want you to get them. I don't want you to forgive them. I knew you were a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God. The, see, see sometimes, sometimes people celebrate the mercy of God for themselves, but they want the judgment of God for everybody else. And that is not how it works. So, so it's not just carrying the presence of God. It's carrying it as attached to the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God. If you look at that tassel, it takes 613 loops to make a tassel. There's 613 commands. It's the ways of God and it's the grace of God. The, the, the tassel comes off with eight strands. Eight is the number of new beginnings. It's the number of, of, of all things being made new. So, so it's not just the presence of God. It's, it's the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God. And they had these tassels to look at, to remind themselves of the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God. It was a reminder when you fail that there was always forgiveness. It was a reminder of how you're supposed to act. It was actually as a deterrent. What they would do is they'd wear it by wrapping it around their hands like this. So they would wear it, always reminding themselves 
that God's ways brought me from slavery to freedom. God's ways brought me from darkness to light. God's ways brought me from Egypt to Israel. God's ways are the best ways for my life. So that any time before you sinned with your hands, you would have to physically unwrap God. This was a deterrent so that you not be um, motivated by the lust of your own eyes. There's all this interesting imagery with this. There's this passage in the book of Luke where Jesus says, beware of the Pharisees for they wear their tassels too long, right? In other words, in other words, beware of people who make too big of an outward pro proclamation of how close they are to God. Normally they're not, right? Like be very wary of people who when you walk into a building, when you walk into a church and somebody walks up and says, I'm the prayer warrior here. Normally not, because normally the prayer warrior is somewhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the idea is that if you have to tell someone you're in charge, you probably aren't, right, right, right? I'm the head of this house, okay. You're the head, but she's the neck. She's turning you any way she wants you to go. <laughs> There's all this, oh, oh, there's this one psalm. I don't remember where it is, but it's in there. You'll know it, right? It's, it's, it says, under the shadow of his wings. Yes, God doesn't have, like, it's not a bird. It's, the idea was underneath, the, the word is kanaf. It's under the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God, under the shadow of your wings. Oh, remember there's this one time? There's this one time? There's this guy named Saul, and he was chasing a guy named David, um, and it says that Saul went into the cave to use the toilet, right? Actually, the actual Hebrew there is he, he went in there and uncovered his feet, which I guess you'll get that later. Okay, so he, he goes in there to use the toilet. And it says that as he was using the toilet, it says that David was hiding in the same cave. And, and evidently, his, David's eyes had adjusted, you know, from the darkness. And it says that David snuck up behind him and he cut off the corner of Saul's garment. Remember? Well, hang on. Saul's the king of Israel. So if he's the king of Israel, what would have been attached to the corner of his garment? Tassels, right? And so David sneaks out and Saul finishes his business. And then he walks out in the light and he puts his garment back on and he reaches for the tassels and he realizes the corner of his garment is missing. And he looks and it says that David was up in the distance holding the corner of his garment up. What's he saying? What's David saying? He's saying, listen, I cannot touch the presence of God on you. That is for God to decide. But what I can declare is the way you're carrying it stinks to high heaven. You haven't lost the presence of God, but you surely have lost your tassels. There's all this stuff going on around this. Like, oh, oh, there's this interesting prophecy that came about about how to recognize Messiah when he comes. Next slide. This is from the book of Malachi. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The word is kanaf. In other words, how do you know who Messiah is? You'll know Messiah by there being healing in the corner of his garment. The word is kanaf. In other words, there's healing in the way Messiah carries the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God. There'll be healing in his wings. 
Mark chapter 5, an interesting story comes about about Jesus being asked to pray for a guy named Jairus' daughter. Here's the, this is quite a long passage. I'm only going to read part of it, and I'll tell the story in the middle. I'll tell it well, right? This is, this is what it says, Mark chapter 5. Once again, Jesus crossed over by boat um, to the other side of the lake, and a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, a guy named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he said to him, keep going, and he's pleaded earnestly with him, "Uh, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with them. So so Mark chapter 5 is a story about Jesus being invited to pray for a little girl because Jairus' daughter is really, really sick and Jairus' daughter needs a touch from God and she doesn't get a touch from God, she's going to die. So Mark chapter 5 is all about Jesus praying for Jairus' daughter and if we ever lose sight of the fact that Jesus was going to pray for Jairus' daughter, then we'll lose track of the whole passage because the whole passage is actually about Jesus getting to a guy named Jairus' daughter because Jairus' daughter is very sick and something really crazy is fixing to happen that could take our focus off the fact that he was going to Jairus' daughter but actually... Actually, the whole thing is about him getting to Jairus' daughter. And the thing that happens in the middle is actually a distraction to that thing. But the thing is, is that he's going to Jairus' daughter. And if we forget the fact that he's going to Jairus' daughter, the next next thing that happens could take our focus off that. So we don't want to do that because we want to remember that Jesus is going to pray for Jairus' daughter. So Jesus is going to pray for Jairus' daughter. And it says something crazy happened on the way there. It said a woman with the issue of bleeding for 12 years pushed through the crowd. Odd. I I think it's safe to assume she had some sort of female issue, right? And, And 12 years is awfully specific. Like, how did they know that? Like, what if it was 11 years and nine months? Like, obviously, the author's saying something different, right? Hebrew people read the Bible through four levels, right? If you're a nerd and need to know the name of them, it's Peshat, Ramez, Drosh, and Sud. But if you're not, it's one, two, three, four. The the Peshat is like what plainly happens. Obviously, there's this lady who's had an issue of bleeding for quite a long time, and she comes up and she wants to be healed. That's obviously what happened. But underneath that is a Ramez, a hint an allusion to something else. And when a Jewish author uses the number 12, what is the audience hearing? They're hearing 12 tribes. They're hearing, they're hearing, they're hearing Israel. So, so in other words, there, there's a part of this story that is about one lady at one moment at one time needing healing. But there's another part of the story that's about an entire nation who is leaking life and they're gonna die if they don't get a touch from Messiah. So in one sense, there's this lady who needs a touch, but in another sense, this is about me and it's about you and it's about anybody who's leaking life. It's about anybody that without a touch from God is going to continue to leak life until they die. This isn't just about one lady. It's about me and it's about you and it's an entire nation needing a touch from God. To understand this, we have to understand a bit about their culture. See, see, everybody in Jewish culture was either Tameh or Tahor. Tameh was unclean. Now, 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 we... In a Western culture, we define sin very poorly. We define sin as if you do bad things, you're sinning. 
right? And then, of course, we pick and choose about which bad things we're going to focus on, right? But if you do bad things, you're sinning. The ancient Jews defined sin much more broadly than that. They defined it as anything that wasn't perfect. Anything, anything that wasn't perfect made you unclean, Tim A. For instance, in Leviticus, it's a sin to have dandruff, okay? So, so what, you're, in other words, you became unclean if you had dandruff. So just check your neighbor right now and see if they're living in sin. It's like they need some head and shoulders or something. Sin to have dandruff. So sin to have eczema. Uh -huh. Hey, it, it was a sin to give birth. In Leviticus chapter 12, it says, after a woman gives birth, she must bring an offering of atonement to, to atone for her sin of loss of blood. In other words, because the way women give birth is a result of the fall, then, then birth itself is now a sin, and so we must now atone for even that. That's in Leviticus chapter 12. It, it was a sin to have a period. Uh-huh. It was a sin. And then they made, they made the rules even bigger because here's the problem. Tamay was very contagious. Like to be unclean. So like if you have dandruff and someone touches you, now they're unclean too. And this was all a part of extra rules that they made to make money on people needing more forgiveness. In those days, they profiteered on people's spiritual guilt. I know that doesn't apply to any of us ever. But they found a way to make money for people's guilt. And so they, they made all these extra rules. For instance, it was against the law to touch someone who was unclean, or you would become unclean. Then they made it even bigger. They, they said it was against the law to touch furniture where someone who was unclean had been sitting. So, so for instance, I don't even know how you lived back then. Like, it was, it was Tamay to have, a, to, to have a period. I don't even know, you, like, like, if you're here today and you're like, could you just let us know who not to touch? Like, how did they do that, right, right? Oh, 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 and oh, if you're not willing to raise your hand, could you at least leave a note in your seat so we know not to touch the seat, right? It was a crazy way to live, crazy. So they made all, like, like oh, th this was an extra rule. They made it against the law to knowingly touch furniture where a married couple had been intimate in the last three days. Like, how do you, how would you know? I, I, look, I was teaching this once in a pastor's home and he made everybody get off the sofa. He's like, everybody off the sofa. <laughs> He was 75. I salute you, sir. That's how Tamay worked, right? Now, now, now come back to Mark chapter five, right? So you got this lady, right? You got this lady with an issue of bleeding. Hang on, hang on, whoa, 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 right? I know, that was funny, here we go, right, right? Watch this, All right? If she had been bleeding for 12 years, what did that make her? Tamay. Now let's stop for a second and read this emotionally. We, we tend to read stuff for doctrine. Where's the doctrine? Hang on. Okay, fair enough. But let, let's read it with some feeling. If she'd been bleeding for 12 years, that means she'd been unclean for 12 years. What did that mean? It meant she had not been purposely touched in 12 years. But think about that. Like when she walked in the room, people would put their hands behind their back. And it wasn't because they didn't like her. It's because they could, literally could not afford to touch her. They'd have to go offer sacrifices. It's just a terrible, terrible sort of thing. Imagine the rejection she's feeling. And she's had enough. And here's what, here's what she hears. She hears a rumor that Jesus is coming close by. 
And she knows her scriptures, right? And her scriptures say, if he's the Messiah, then there will be healing in the corner of his garment. But wait a minute, you're the outcast. How do you possibly get close enough to touch him? Hold on, I'm unclean and no one wants to touch me. Excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, right? right? You like her, don't you? Like, she's making a way, right? The whole place would have parted for her to try to get to him. She reaches up and she grabs the corner of his garment. Hang on a second. Jesus is Jewish. Thank you. What would have been hanging from the corner of his garment? The word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God is attached to the presence of God. She reaches up and she grabs the corner of his garment and she gets healed. What's interesting is that Jesus breaks form. Normally when Jesus heals somebody, what's his modus operandi? Let's keep this on the down low, shall we? Let's not tell anybody, not this time. This lady grabs the corner of his garment and Jesus, you never see him do this before and you never see him do it again. What does he do? Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Does that sound like Jesus? No, that sounds like Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Luke, the force, has left me. Somebody, like, you never see Jesus do that. Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. And they're like, well, there's a lot of people around. Maybe it was that lady with the issue of bleeding. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't address her healing. He just says, go in peace. Go in, it's in other words, don't just go with your physical healing, go with wholeness. In other words, don't make your next husband pay for the sins of the first one. Don't make the next group of friends pay for the sins of the last group of friends who rejected you. Don't, don't make the next community pay for the sins of the, I know you've had a hard 12 years here. Don't make the next group pay for the brokenness of this season. This season is now over. But then, but then something tragic happens. Remember, where is Jesus going? Jairus' daughter. And evidently, in all the delay, Jairus' daughter dies. And the sheer bluntness of how they announced this to Jairus was frankly terrible. This is Mark 5.35. Here's what it says. While Jesus was still speaking... Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter's dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why even bother the rabbi anymore? Now, hang on a second. Let's read that with some emotion, shall we? If, if you're here and you have a child, and your child dies, and they announce it to you that way, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why even bother the rabbi anymore? How rude is that? 
That's first. Second, if you're Jairus, how are you feeling in that moment? You're devastated. First feeling would be devastation. Second feeling would be disbelief. Third feeling would be what? Wrath, anger. At who? The woman. Stupid woman. Been bleeding 12 years. You can't wait five minutes. God. Shock and selfishness. He's on his way to pray for my daughter who died, and because you decided to stop the line, he didn't make it? Stupid woman. Here's the question. Why would they tell him like that? Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why even bother the rabbi anymore? Once again, we've got to understand Levitical law. According to Levitical law, it was a sin to knowingly walk into a room where a dead body is. He's the synagogue ruler. He has to live by the law. They say, hey, she's dead. There's no need to bother him. He can't walk in there knowing she's dead. It would make Jesus a sinner. He can't knowingly walk into a room where a dead body is unless you're already considered Tamay by the general public. Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. I need everybody to see. That woman who's been bleeding forever, she just touched me. I need all of you to think I'm unclean. In this story, one who knew no sin was willing to become unclean for the sake of other people. Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. I need all of you to think I'm unclean because if they didn't think he was unclean, they wouldn't have even let him in the room. Jesus is covering his bases here. And he's a genius. And just one other note. The greatest, one of the greatest miracles Jesus ever did was actually an interruption to his schedule. In other words, if you're so focused on the next one thing that God can't interrupt your schedule, sometimes you'll miss the greatest thing he'll ever do. Sometimes interruptions and disasters are exactly what you need to push you forward. Oh, it's a disaster, you stopped him. He, she's dead. But you understand in that culture, if she had not stopped the line, they wouldn't have even let him in the room. What looked like a disaster was what made a way for this miracle to happen. Baba Shane, I lost my job, I lost my job, I lost my job, I lost my job. Good, it's probably time for you to start that business you've been dreaming about and God just propelled you right to it. Come on. Come on! Oh, Shane, they left me. Oh, God, oh, oh, they left me, they left me. Good, God did you a favor. Ask your friends, trust me. It's time for you to pick yourself up and move forward. Are you kidding me? Sometimes the greatest thing God would ever do for you looks like a disaster in the moment, but it's leading somewhere awesome. Jesus is heading to Jairus' daughter, and he covers his bases, if you remember. Remember, he says, oh, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Wink, wink. <laughs> now, now, before I read this next part, I, I want you to remind yourself that there was a kanaf with tassels 
And does everybody remember the name of the garment? It's a, it's very important, it's a tallit. Everybody together with gusto? Tallit. Let's try that again. Tallit. And in the tallit was this idea of the presence of God. Now watch what happens. Let me put this back on. Watch what happens. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him, and after he put all them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in to where the child was. And he took her by the hand. Hang on a second. If he's Jewish, what would have been wrapped around his hands? Tassels. So in the first part of this story, somebody gets touched by God because she's reaching out to him. But in the second part of this story, this little girl gets touched by God because he's reaching out to her. One way or the other, God is gonna get what he wants. Sometimes, sometimes people get touched by God because they're desperately seeking him. Sometimes, as Pastor Kathy talked about this morning, it's a totally unbelieving person with no intention of having faith who gets surprised suddenly by God reaching out to them. In this story, the first lady is reaching out to God. In the second part of the story, God is reaching out to this little girl even after she's dead. He's still coming. And he takes her by the hand. He brings the tassels to her. Now, if it's a sin to walk into a room where a dead body is, is it a sin to touch one? Oh, yeah. Is she do you realize the risk Jesus is taking here? If she doesn't breathe, we have a sinning Jesus. Watch what happens. And he takes her by the hand and says to her, Talit ha kum, talit ha kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. See, in the word talit was the idea of being covered in the presence of God. The translation is correct, talit hakum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. But conceptually in their mind, it would have been, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to arise. And I flew from London to L.A. to Sydney to Auckland yesterday. And I did that to stand right here at this moment and say to you, talit Ha kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. But shame they left me. I know, five years ago. Get up, get up. But Shane, I was there for them and then they left my church. I know, they're jerks, get up. Talit, ha, kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. But Shane, I put everything into that business and it failed. Right, Talit, ha, kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. Now listen to me. It's very irresponsible. Yeah, you can be seated again. Thank you for that. And I'm, I'm glad the Spirit of God's moving you here. 
and get ready to get moved again. But here's the thing. It is irresponsible. I, to have my own conscience, I have to say it this way. It is irresponsible to preach a message like this. And people have the potential to take it as a luxury to presume upon God's grace to do something that you could do on your own. Let, let, let me say it this way. God is not duty bound to fix stupidity. Right? Like, like the, second, the second temptation of Christ was what? Hey, you're the Christ. Throw yourself off the mountain and because God has such a big plan for your life, he'll save you. And remember Jesus' response? Probably, but why would I do that when I just could not jump? Right? Like God is not duty. Let me be more specific maybe. Maybe not. I, I'm, it's not my place to challenge any leadership for equippers, okay? But I'm, I'm positive I'm speaking for them. If I'm not, I humbly apologize. If you get lung cancer, we will pray with all of our heart and believe with you that God will heal you of that lung cancer. But we would much rather you quit smoking today than need a miracle in 20 years, right? Right? Like, honestly, in other words, if, you, if it's within your power to do something about your situation, you don't depend on God to fix something that you could absolutely do yourself. Come on. Like, okay, let me go Joyce Meyer on you. Don't let me come back here next year and find your life in the exact same spot it is right now. If it's within your power to do something about it, get off your butt and do something about it. If you don't like Joyce, maybe my favorite, Joel Osteen, maybe that's. You're a champion. God loves you. You don't let that devil get in your head and get you all negative. You tell him to go on back to hell where he came from. Me and Victoria, we was talking the other day about what daddy used to say about y'all. And y'all aren't just beautiful people. Y'all are champions. So the next time that devil gets in your head and goes round and round and round and round, you just reach deeper down inside of you and you become the champion God intended you to be. Whatever works. But here's the thing. If you live long enough, there's a day where you've done all you can do. And at the end of that, there's always the tassels. There's always, you've taken all your medicine, you've done what the doctors told you to do, and you still need a miracle. You did everything you could do to salvage the business and it still failed. You did everything you could do to salvage the relationship and it's not going to work. And in that moment, Talit, ha, kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. Watch how this ends. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. That's good. And how old was she, by the way? Oh, she was 12. Oh. So the lady who's been bleeding for 12 years and a little girl that's been born for 12, maybe they knew each other. 
I don't know. I know that this isn't just a story about one little girl. This is a story about me and you and a nation that is dead without a touch from God and God bringing that touch to that nation. At this, they were completely astonished, as you would. And he gave them strict orders not to let anybody know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Why? Because when you raise from the dead, you work up an appetite. That's why. Listen to me, shout. Listen, listen. It's an honor for me to be here with you. And I want you, if you're the type that phases out through most of the stuff, but you come back and remember one thing, here you go. If you're thinking, oh shoot, my wife's gonna ask me what that man said, and I was not paying attention, here you go. Let me save your life right now. Ready? Talit ha kum. My child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. Now this thing here says eight minutes. And so I don't, um, I actually, I, I, I'm actually, I don't want to break protocol. Um, I'm gonna leave this. Now let me be clear. These are my tassels. They have no inherent value. But if you are the type of person that is tangible, maybe you're here this morning and before we go to lunch, there's a situation and you've done everything you can do and now you need a touch. Maybe, maybe five years ago, the whole thing fell apart for you and it's time for you to leave your faults behind and realize the presence of God is here and get up. Maybe you need a touch in your body. It's time for you to get up. You also, you never know when your faith reaching out for Jesus will ultimately affect an entire another generation of people who need to be touched by Jesus. Maybe that's you. And so I'd like to open, forgive me if this is not protocol, um, but I'd like to open the altar up. And if you would all stand to your feet, um, and I'd like to ask that no one leaves unless it's an emergency, because even if you don't need a touch, maybe you need to stand for somebody who does. And um, I purposely ended this uh, um, eight minutes early because I wanted a moment for if there's something and you know you can do something about it, get off your butt and do something about it. But if you know you've done what you can do, and now it's a touch from God is what you need. Now that failure, you just can't seem to shake it. Now it's talit ha kum. My child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. And the lucky thing about a conference like this is there's 300 pastors here who can help me pray for people. So as they sing this song, whatever they song they plan to sing, I want you to come down. If you need prayer, if you say, you know what, I need a touch. And look, there's only two tassels here, so be very unselfish with it. And if, if you feel like that wouldn't help me, I just want to stand in the presence of God, that's fine. But if you feel like it would help you to have a moment with that tassel to go, you know what? I acknowledge I'm at the end of everything I can do and you are my only hope now. It's here for you. You just come up the altars now, open.
the Lord, I just pray that this place would be a dwelling place for your name. The compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God. And let that healing in the name of Jesus, the provision in the name of Jesus, the peace, the shalom, the righteousness, the sidkanu. Lord, would you let that thing, let all of the name, the name that is above every name, let the name of Jesus settle over this place. And I pray that from right to left, north to south, Lord, that you would, you would settle over this place. You would just settle over this place. Would you look this way? Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your world today. I hope you were blessed by that. I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better, the resurrection central, scriptures got bigger, not smaller. I hope that you were touched by the presence of God. I'm gonna step off here in a second and hand this back over to Sam. I'm gonna leave my tassels here. Just please remember, I'll need them later. Um, but you can have your moment if you need, as long as you want. They can stay here all day, I don't, I don't mind. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your world. But above all things, Talit Ha Kum, my child, the presence of God is here.